Hey y'all, welcome back to Voices of the Body, the podcast. My name is Love Ashley Elaine and I will continue to be your guide as we journey through our very first book club. Yes, we are diving into part three of Yoga in the Dark Night of the Soul. Still one of my favorite books. Every time I read it now to regroup for each episode, I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. We are going to touch on suffering, right? A lot of this uh, section, I noticed a lot more on suffrage, how it happens, why it happens, and how we can release it. So, you know the vibes, prepare your mind, body, and soul as we get into this episode. And we are back. So we're going to do some uh, short belly breathing, right? We're not going to stay in the space long, but find a comfortable seated position. If you're driving, you can come back to this or you can still engage in the breath work, right? It doesn't require you to, uh, well, focus would be a thing. Yeah. And if you are safe in your space and in your body, you can gently bring your gaze down your nose or close your eyes completely. And take a nice big inhale. And exhale. Two more rounds of cleansing breath before we get into our breath work. Nice big inhale. And exhale. Last one, nice big inhale. And exhale. 
and if it's available to you bring one hand to your belly and as you inhale fill your belly or both hands to your belly as you inhale fill your belly expand right feel it expand like a balloon and gently bringing the breath all the way up to the heart space And as you exhale, keep it nice and light, nice and gentle, as you feel everything coming back to its normal state. One more nice big inhale, filling up the belly, taking in all the air that you can, right? Not struggling, but allowing the body to be filled Starting with the belly and gently exhale, allowing the body to slowly come back to its center, right? Slowly come back to its normal state, not rushing it, but allowing it to slowly come back, keeping it nice and gentle, keeping the nervous system gentle. Last one, nice big inhale, filling up the belly. Taking in all the air that you can, slowly allowing the air to fill the chest, fill the heart space. Bringing it at the top of your breath. And gently exhaling, allowing the body to gently and smoothly and calmly release the breath. Bringing the body back into its natural space. And just allow yourself to be present in this moment. Maybe you need to do that as many times as the body calls for, as many times as it feels comfortable for you. Or maybe you just come into stillness, allowing your breath to move through its natural rhythm. And just notice what may have came up, what feels different from when you started, from before you started. And maybe you take a minute to just pause this recording and take some notes before we move on to what's next. So a couple more rounds of breath, nice big inhale and gentle exhale. One more nice big inhale. Gentle exhale. The last one, nice big inhale. And exhale. And we will be right back.
And we are back. So we left off last week uh, talking about surrender, right? And I think it's like the way everything is flowing is really, really beautiful because in order to release suffrage, right, or what that what that constraint is, you have to surrender. So we're moving into part three of um, the book, Dark Night of the Soul, Yoga and the Dark Night of the Soul, which starts on page 149. Um, and it's moving into agreement number two. If you remember, there were four agreements in the beginning of the book. Um, and as I was reading, if anybody has read The Four Agreements, which is completely separate from this book, I think I'm going to do that book next, the next time I do a um, a book club month. Um, won't be anytime soon, maybe season three. But it had me wondering like where those two might meet, even though these are two completely different authors, two completely different written works of art right there's something that still feels um like they tie into one another so here in part three which is agreement two we have let every step be its own reward in the beginning of part three krishna is now introducing karma yoga to arjana he's explaining that karma yoga is the yoga of skillful action so this now will answer two questions what is the best way to act and how do we act with skill right i feel like if we can adopt those two questions right it's like the five second rule when you want to say something is it going to um create change is it going to be harmful is it like all of those things right I'm still a work of art, right? And y'all know by now I'm not, I'm very transparent about my own growth journey and being secluded has really allowed me to drill down and dial down into like my own impulsive behaviors. So when we come to those two questions, what is the best way to act? And then how do we act with skill, right? It's it's asking us to be present, right? It's asking us to release this, this idea of we have to just retaliate and respond quickly, right? There's situations and spaces where we might have to, but you can still, you can still act with skill right you can still respond with skill again all of these episodes you're gonna hear a lot of background noise the birds bees all of the things maybe some people just it's just the way the environment is set up for me right now um so despair has a way of blinding us to how we should act versus how we are acting right Despair will bring us down to a space where it's like, oh my God, I have to do something now and all the dramatics and all those things, right? Or when you think about all those other emotions that come into play, like anger, rage, uh, rage, not rage. I don't know where that word came from, right? They make you respond very impulsively, right? There is no stop breathe think 
and then act with skill, right? So how do we make this a daily practice, right? How do we allow ourselves to invite this new skill set in, right? And maybe it's it's not anger. Maybe it's not rage. Maybe rage. I don't know why range keeps coming to my head um, or my my language. Um, but how do we how do we act skillfully, right? So even when you have to make in the moment decisions, you can still act skillfully, right? And with tact, right? There's moments where like, think about sending that email, right? It's like, bam. It's like, well, did we, did we think about this? Did we make sure we put it in language that is going to, um, not put a bitter taste in that person's mouth about us and still act with skill, right? Still act with tact, right? So let's move on. On page 50, at the top, it says, when our actions are propelled by fear, limitation, or confusion, we act in a way that is unskillful, right? So again, like I said, it's not just always rage and anger. It's also fear. It's also confusion, right? Although fear is the root of anger. Fear is the root of anger, right? Um, we act in a way that is unskillful, yet there's a way of acting that doesn't lead to suffering because anger can also lead you into suffrage, right? Anything that doesn't allow you to be free and trust, right? Again, let's go back to last week where we talked about surrendering the need of control, surrendering to um, trust and faith, right? Really allowing what needs to unfold, what needs to manifest to be, right? And stop like trying to push and make something work that may not, may not like it's not supposed to unskillful action entangles us more deeply in our story but skillful or yogic action frees us it creates immense space uh spaciousness and no longer binds us to suffering keep that in mind right suffering right fear is suffering right limitation is suffering when you choose to stay in a space for too long you're you're allowing the bondage of suffering to keep hold of you, right? Everything has an expiration date. Sadness has an expiration date until you're sad again. Happiness has an expiration date until you're happy, right? That's why I'm a firm believer that you just have to have joy, right? Joy is very different from happiness. Happiness is when something is happening, right? So your life is constantly happening, of course, you're going to experience happiness. It's not a bad thing, right? But what about those days and those moments where things are dark, right? Joy is what keeps you going. Joy is what pulls you out of bed some mornings. I'm not even going to say most mornings, right? So Krishna breaks it down into three easy steps. Number one is be true to your own nature. Two is let go of the fruits. And three is make your work your offering, right? Um... And then on page 51, he goes through what all of those are, right? Not standing in these three spaces creates constant suffrage, right? So when we're not true to our own nature, 
we're suffering, right? Because we're not allowing ourselves to be free in who we're supposed to be. Remember, I'm going to keep repeating it and I keep learning that repetition is how we learn, how you undo, right? Is it your divine self or your trauma self, right? Those cycles of your trauma self, um, letting go of the fruit, right? We, we create suffrage in our mind when we're doing something and looking for something back instead of just doing it out of love, right? And that can be hard depending on what we're talking about, right? When it comes to work, I expect to get paid for my work, right? That's when a different conversation has to come in, but anything more than that. So I started really allowing myself when I teach uh, asana classes is to just do, right? And I, well, not, not allowing myself, but noticing, right? That it's something that I love to do so much that I don't attach what my class is going to feel like afterwards or what each person is going to feel like afterwards. There might be, there's people in my class that might not get anything out of it. That's fine. I still showed up and did what I needed to and who got what they needed. That's the bonus, right? That's the serve and return, right? Is I, I showed up, I planted what I needed to and whatever fruit came from that came from that in that moment, in that class, right? I think it gets kind of tricky when we're talking about like contracts and work and like agreements, right? Like there's, there's a, your word is your bond type thing where it's like, okay, no, like I came here to do a job and I'm supposed to get paid for it as we agreed upon, right? We're all still like trying to find our voice in that. Yeah, whatever. Right. And then making your work, your offering, right. Coming back to when I teach asana classes, that is my offering. Anything outside of that is, is extra because I love to do it. Right. Doing this podcast every week I come in, do an episode, right. Because I love to do it is my offering. If I get anything in return, I get what I get in return. Right. But it, it helps me help someone else so if someone else is getting something from it kudos right i love to do this i love to do this i love the microphone i always thought i was going to be like a a dj at a radio show like i used to yeah it was i liked some interesting things when i was younger all right so we're going to start with number one which is be true to your own nature um I'm looking at my own notes. Oh. Uh, actions. Okay, yeah. So we'll move to chapter eight, which is be true to your own nature. If we go to page 158. So I'm going to read 158. Um, here in 158, he's telling, the author is telling us a story about um, someone else, right. Who is like working with patients who are transitioning. And the most common thing that these patients say 
at the end of their life is that I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expecting expected of me. Let's pause there. How many of you are living a life that other people expect you to live and not the life that you desire to live? Like that's a real space to be in, right? That's suffrage. That's bondage. That's abuse. It's all of those things, right? So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna that it's better to uh, strive and even struggle on your own path than to succeed on the path of another, right? We can't be on someone else's path. We can't do what they're doing, right? You could be successful at how they do it, but it's going to crumble when it's not yours. It's not authentic, right? You can't uphold that too much longer because it's not your true nature, right? Krishna, Krishna goes further to say, it's better to follow your own path, even if you perish doing so, than to follow the path someone else expects of you and succeed in doing so perfectly. Because you're not going to have genuine happiness doing it, right? It's still like that fraud alert feeling is going to pop up, right? I think I shared this before, but in college, like, I changed my major so many times. And at one point I changed my major to accounting um, because I was told by an adult in my life that I should just switch my major to accounting. If you know me, numbers are not my thing. If you know me, basic math is it. Numbers are not my thing. You want to start asking me to do all this extra stuff? Nah, boo. Not it. If you authentically know me, like, I'm still trying to ask God for somebody that I can trust to manage, like, my business books and my own money. Like, give me an allowance out of my own money because numbers are not my thing, right? So I changed my major to accounting. The mint that first class, my best friend at the time, she's an accountant. Like she's the number, she's a human Google, right? Like I like her nickname is Human Google. Cause she like she's an accountant. She's amazing with numbers. So it made sense for her. We're sitting in this class together and I'm looking at her and she's looking at me. She's like, why are you here? I said, I have no idea. But all I need is for you to help me pass this class because after this class is done this semester, I'm going to change my major back to criminal justice. The minute I changed my major back to criminal justice, I passed all of my classes. Every last one of them. Let's talk about case law. Let's talk about blood splatter and, and murder scenes. And like I did a project on uh columbine like like let's talk about those things right the things that i actually enjoy having conversation about Sh social justice all of those things not so much political i don't care about that stuff but like i loved learning about case law i loved case law past all of my classes right minimum probably a b or c because i don't know like school is just a weird thing for me right 
but I wasn't like being in that in accounting class. I wasn't, I wasn't saying yes to my true nature. I want it to, right? But there's people in our lives that we trust that we, that I believe have our best interests at heart, right? Both and they also have a path set out for us. Instead of us looking inward and saying, what is the path that I have set out for myself? All right. Uh, he goes on to say, Arjana is a warrior by nature, right? In his dark night of the soul, he wants to give up being a warrior. It's a difficult path. He would rather choose a different calling, maybe that of a wandering monk. That is not Arjana. Remember how he was described in the beginning. He would probably suffer trying to become a monk. Probably suffer trying to become a monk. But Krishna teaches him about the importance of being true to one's nature. By carrying out action in accordance with one's own nature, one doesn't go wrong. One should never abandon the type of action one is born to perform, Arjana, even if it has faults. I'm going to read that again. By carrying out action in accord, in, in accord, excuse me, with one's own nature, one doesn't go wrong. One should never abandon the type of action one is born to perform, even if it has faults. Everybody's journey is going to have its faults. Everybody's journey is going to have its pits and valleys and all those things, right? Even the famous people that we see, they're still human and experience human things just like the rest of us, right? Then he goes on to say, all undertakings come with some fault just as fire comes with smoke. The fire always has smoke. You always know that there's a fire when you see smoke. You're never going to see a fire and not see or smell smoke. Right? So my journey has its ups and downs, has its pitfalls, has its all those twists and turns. Your journey is going to have the same. But when you stay authentic to what your journey is supposed to be and not try and force it to be anything else, right? Again, like we said last, last week, it's a constant surrenderance every single day. Every single day. Surrendering is not easy, especially when you've been used to a pattern, right? It's 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 like a an a unknown known pattern, right? But when you are doing the work, you're creating deeper awareness of yourself and your behaviors and the behaviors of people around you, what your actual path is, what you what actually lights you up, right? What brings you excitement to do? What what just feels innately natural? right? That is your thing. That is what you're supposed to be doing, right? Goes on to say, by carrying out action in accordance with one's own nature, one does not go wrong. The most powerful statement, and it, and it says it here, that's a powerful statement. It's a very powerful statement. By carrying out action in accord with one's own nature, one does not go wrong. 
you will know when something is for you when it doesn't feel forced. You will know when friendships are for you when they don't feel forced. You will know when that romantic partner is for you when it doesn't feel forced. You will know when a job is for you when it doesn't feel forced. Right? There's moments where I'm like, oh, maybe I need to go and find another full-time job. Like, ah, maybe, maybe this ain't it. And then I think about the mental suffrage, right? It's not about me being lazy and not wanting to get up and do the nine to five or whatever the hours are every single day and have my weekends. I need something that's going to allow me to be free in my creativity and I get paid for it because that's how much I believe in myself. That's how much I know about myself to know, okay, that's going to be a mental constraint. Constraint. I'm dropping a lot of letters today and adding a lot. That's going to be a mental constraint. That's going to be a creative constraint. Right. Because if I can't create. It's like I like if I can't see in color, it's almost like if I can't see in color. Like something has blinded me. Right. Um, I'm I'm and I am a firm believer in you do what you have to until you can do better. I think I've been doing that long enough. And I'm grateful again that I have my grandmother who's very supportive, very supportive, right? I have no shame in saying like, okay, I had to move back in with her. That's how supportive she is though, because she even believes that I can get back on my feet in this realm of creativity and starting fresh and starting over all of those things. Right. So when I get back to the States, that I have somewhere to go. Right. I'm grateful for that. I thank God for that. Is it ideal? Actually, yes. I'm not even going to say no. Yes, it is ideal because I'm somewhere where I believe I'm safe. I'm somewhere I believe that I am being rooted for. I'm somewhere I believe where I'm supported and not financially supported, like lovingly supported, grounded, right? So yeah, like by carrying out action in accord with one's own nature, one does not go wrong. That's very powerful. Sit with that. Sit with that. Are you living in your true nature? Or do you feel constant suffrage? Do you feel that constant, like, I used to say there was a job that I had where, like, trying to explain it to somebody, it was like, I feel like there's a beat missing. Like, something like something doesn't make sense. Like, A and B is not equaling what it's supposed to here. Like, there's something missing in between, right? Um... And then it goes on at the bottom of this page to say, to express one nature, which is our calling, making it our personal offering of the heart is our birthright. Ooh. Living your true nature is your birthright. It's what we were placed on this earth to do. How do we know what our nature is, right? A lot of people are, are asking that question. What is 
my purpose? What is my calling? What, how do, like, am I in it, right? We may have spent so many years, even decades, trying to live up to the expectation of others and trying to fit in that we simply don't know what our nature is anymore. So what then? We start by looking at our gifts, right? Um, I'm going to read all of 159 also, okay? So it says, we start by looking at our gifts. If we're naturally good at something, it may offer us a clue about our nature. Every life form has a particular gift or power. Everybody has a superpower. Everybody has gifting, spiritual gifting. You may have not received any of it yet, right? A bee is able to manufacture honey. A hummingbird can stop mid-flight and hover in the air. A fish draws oxygen out of water. Glowworms can illuminate the darkness like stars fallen to the earth. We too each have a unique gift and contribution to make. But recognizing our gift, this part is important, but recognizing our gift is only a starting point. It's through active engagement, active engagement. You have not because you ask not. Faith without works is dead, right? It's through active engagement with the world that our calling is revealed to us. It's by being of service in life that we're summoned to express our nature in a specific way. Our nature then manifests most clearly to us as a calling. One simple way to know if we're being true to our nature is to ask, do I feel more alive? Is what I'm doing creating vitality or is it sapping my strength and making me feel dead? Don't be out here at the walking dead. Like, it's plenty of people walking around dead, going to work dead. Mm. Right. Um. Yeah. So let's see. We'll move to page one sixty seven. Hmm. There's a there's a part here on one sixty one before we move to the next page, right? where it says um where he talks about realigning with your truth right with the way you and god are constructed right i believe that god is the orchestrator of the universe and moves things around so that people that need to meet who they need to meet meet each other opportunities like zapping this person to think about that person like all of those things right that is my take. Some of you go to the universe and that's it. That's your prerogative, right? I believe that God is the orchestrator of the universe, that he moves things around because he created everything under the under the sun and the stars, the moon, all of those things, right? So it talks about... um this person, Peter, like he struggled, came from a poor family. His parents struggled to send him to university. He grew up um, with a lot 
of other children who had more than what he did. And when it came to choose a trajectory for his life, he didn't pause to think about his purpose or his nature. He wanted a career that was going to give him a high income, right? And prestige because he grew up not having those things. He was a lawyer for 25 years and it finally caught up with him, right? This choice to become a lawyer when he was younger finally caught up with him. The realization that he has been following a path that was not his own threw him into his own dark dark night of the soul, right? So I have highlighted here, right? What do you do in that situation? You realign yourself with truth, which with the way you and the universe are constructed, right? God created you a certain way to do something special. So your goal is to stay in truth, right? Now, I don't believe that anyone listening to this will take this the wrong way, but therapy also helps us relieve like like unveil that truth right because there's a truth that we may have thought about ourselves for so long behaviors that we thought of ourselves for so long that it feels like truth right when going to a therapist a trusted therapist a licensed therapist a really good therapist can help you unpack that, right? But you have to want to, right? You like you have to you have to you have to be in a space where you say, okay, there's something more that I need to know about myself. And most times people end up going to therapy because they're experiencing a dark night of their soul. Right. Um, and then it goes back to that one regret that this lady's um, dying patients have is I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expect of me. Right. So, and when I think about like, all the things that people are just like, Oh, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm just like, eh. like, I'm now in a space where I'm like, no, I think I'm good off of that, right? I now become mindful of when other people say to me that they're like, oh, I quit my job. I'm ready to do something new. It's like, oh, well, you can do this now. And they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. And it's like, cool, right? Really trying to be mindful and conscious of me now not like me now being that other person and saying listen whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be doing or feel that you're supposed to be doing I'm here I support you on that right so it's like I can see something but it might not be what that person feels is their true nature to do right um, so moving to page 167. Ah, so as, uh, as Krishna is teaching Arjuna about karma yoga, 
he teaches him karma yoga, which is the skill in action. The first step, Krishna explains, is to work in harmony with the gift of our nature, with the way we're built, right? Again, Arjuna is a warrior. Krishna refers to uh, work aligned with our nature as our personal dharma. Ideally, this is work we're good at. More, more importantly, it's work that feels right, natural, and aligned with who we are. Your dharma, your personal dharma is work that aligns with who you are and happens naturally, right? Our personal dharma is our own exceptional way of expressing ourselves and of being of service in the world. It's our very own way of living in alignment with truth. When we engage in work that suits our nature, even great effort has a feeling of effortlessness. It feels like we're supported in our endeavors by the universe itself, by God himself. Uh, this is because God has designed us in a unique and in inimitable way. Expressing that and living in accordance with it is what we're meant to do. When we love what we do, we naturally attract abundance into our lives. But we can never love what we do if we're living against ourselves. I'm going to read that again. When we love what we do, we naturally attract abundance into our life. But we can never love what we do if we're living against ourselves. Being true to our nature is therefore the first step to attracting abundance into our lives. When you are being your authentic self and true to what you're supposed to do, abundance always follows. And abundance isn't always money. Right? Abundance is not always money. It's, a, it's protection. It's providence. It's experience, right? It's, 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 it's everything, right? When you are living in your true nature, abundance always follows, always follows. Krishna goes further to say a person attains full perfection by devoting themselves to their own particular work. In other words, our work can become our daily yoga practice. We're each born to perform a specific type of action. Our personal dharma is an inherent feature of the way we're constructed. So how you were created is already going to manifest in the work that you do, right? It shouldn't be separate. It, like, it, I got on, it shouldn't be separate, right? Like this work version of you, this home version of you, this church version of you, this societal, like there's like, I need, like it, everything should be tied into one. Like how you show up is how you show up, right? When we follow our personal dharma, Krishna says, making what we do an offering, then our work can become an act of worship. Imagine that devotion right our work is our devotion if we act against our nature no matter what we choose to do and no matter how successful we may become in doing it we'll always feel a lingering emptiness and dissatisfaction living against ourselves is very difficult it requires immense effort it's exhausting we're forever looking for external rewards and always awaiting the future 
Our actions in and of themselves don't satisfy us. When you're constantly trying to like go against your own nature, you're never satisfied. There's people I know that are never satisfied. And I'm now learning they don't have a clear vision of who they are and what they're supposed to do. They're not clear on what their true nature is. You're never satisfied. Nothing satisfies you. Nothing. Right? If we live in agreement with our nature in a way that is truthful to ourselves, whatever we do, whether it meets with our great outward success or even only limited validation, is still highly satisfying. What we do becomes its own reward, right? Let what you do be the reward, right? Sometimes we do things looking for external validation. I don't want that anymore. I don't like, I don't, I don't want people just like, yeah, girl, you got it. And then it's like, when I fall on my face, it's like, ooh, girl, I don't know you no more. Right. Cause in one season you validated what I was doing the next season you didn't because I failed. Right. There's going to be pitfalls, but if we're constantly looking for the external, validation and not validating ourselves and allowing what we're doing to be the goal right like people who create things just for money you i can i can feel it i can feel it right i've been having a lot of conversation with people around teacher trainings where it's like you want how many people to be a part of your teacher training is that about money or is that really to create change and deploy people into the masses to change lives? Ah, uh, moving on. Number two, letting go of the fruits, which is chapter nine. So we're going to move to the top of page 173 where it says letting go of the fruit means shedding our attachment to a particular outcome and opening ourselves up to whatever life returns to us this teaching has been one of the most re uh revel revelatory and transformative in the author's life i have to agree right i had a moment yesterday where i said to myself what if i just allowed myself to be free and extra present right and really trust that god has got me no matter what the money looks like no matter what other people's opinions look like like all of these things like but i have to have that conversation with myself often right because i'm doing something i haven't seen anybody in my own viewpoint do so it's a little scary, right? It's a little unearthing. It's freeing, right? But I still have to surrender daily because I know that the, like God has a plan, like he's doing something, right? Um imagine if we allowed that to be, right? So page 175, we move into understanding yoga right um 
So at the mid bottom, it says our power withdrawn from us in the dark night of the soul. We realize we can't push life about learning to truly let go. We allow ourselves to flow with life without struggle or fear and without continuing, continually trying to impose our will. Right. So not my will, thy will be done. Right. We move on to Krishna wants to teach Arjuna a skillful way to act even in his dark night of the soul. He says, don't try to control what's outside your control, Krishna tells him. Put your heart into what you do, make it an expression of love and devotion, and then let the results take care of themselves. This is what yoga is, right? So in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, Arjuna's uh, bow is his instrument of action. If we fire an arrow, we'll need to take aim. We'll need to focus on hitting the target. But once we release the arrow, what more can we do, right? What more can you do once you've put out there what it is that you're putting out there, right? You do the work that you have to do, but you have no control over what actually happens, right? I do believe that your mindset, your intention, and the place that that um, that ask is coming from matters, right? But like it says in here, the arrow, like the outcome of all of our best efforts, is now outside of our control. Let go of the fruits. Don't obsess about the arrow that has left your bow. We have a birthright to live in alignment with our nature. Okay, so there's that sentence again, our birthright right? It's our birthright to live in our true nature, which then allows us to experience abundance because we're living in our true nature, which moves us into our call. It's also our birthright to align with who we're, like what we're supposed to be doing, right? When we, fo- when we focus on our birthright, we experience vitality and fulfillment, But when we become obsessed about the results of our actions, we experience clinginess, stress, anxiety, competition, fear, discontent, resentment, and anger. Again, but when we become obsessed about the results of our actions, we experience clinginess, stress, anxiety, competition, fear, discontent, resentment, and anger. Rather than live life blinded by attachment we can set off on our yoga um rather than live life blinded by attachment we can set off on our yoga journey like arjana making what we do an offering of love without being overly concerned about what we get back right so i'm in the midst of like trying to plan um a a mini retreat um And I've had to ask myself these questions, right? Because I want to be authentic with myself. I want to be honest with myself, right? Why am I doing this? And it's because I want other people to really dig deep and live in their full potential, right? Really live from their divine creativeness, right? Start taking those steps and trusting themselves to leap because, and as I'm creating it, I'm thinking about some friends and family members and people that I've talked to 
who feel stuck, who feel like they're about to hit like a transition space in life. So it's like I'm creating it with those people in mind. I'm creating it with an old version of myself that like was trying to live other people's uh, live up to other people's expectations. It wasn't my true nature. I'm a creative. I love creating things. I love creating spaces for people. I love having conversation, hence the podcasts, right? I love to talk. I love to help people discover deeper within themselves. Even if it's just like, oh, I saw you on Instagram and I'm inspired by what you do. Like everything has an intention, but it's a pure intention because I want other people to know that they can do it too. Even though some days it's like, well, I'm not doing anything major. I just said yes to myself and kept saying yes to myself, right? Whereas to like someone else, it might be major because they don't know how to say yes to themselves, right? Or at least what version of themselves do they need to say yes to, right? Um, and I wrote that. <laughs> it's It's all about intention. It's all about intention. Um, so page 177, sometimes the things we desire most turn out to be deceptive, even damaging. And sometimes what seems terrible to us at the time ends up bringing, being the best thing that we could have had. That blah, 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 blah. Tongue tied. I'm going to read that again. Sometimes the things that we desire most turn out to be deceptive, even damaging. Yes. And sometimes what seems terrible to us at the time ends up being the best thing that could have happened to us. We can only apply our best effort. If we're trying to force an outcome, it also tends to bring out the worst in us. We get caught up in a cycle of want and frustration, right? So this is where suffrage starts to become a thing. Uh, we find ourselves resisting the presence, lamenting the past and hankering for the future. We're not present in the here and now. This is a disempowering way to act, which leads only to bewilderment. Krishna then teaches, don't be moved by success or failure. Don't be attached. The outcome is not dictated by you. For example, we can't guarantee how many participants will attend our Sunday worship or yoga class. We can't control whether a book we write will be well received. Our startup could fail despite all the energy and money we have put into it. Whenever we feel attached to an outcome, it indicates we're trying to control what lies outside of our remit. Like everything, like we we can't control everything. One, two, three, right? Krishna teaches the teaches Arjuna, who is a warrior, a new way to act, and it's one that doesn't bind him to suffering. Right? We suffer because we're trying to control. We suffer because we're trying to hold on to everything, right? Even mentally, right? When we try to hold on to every thought, everything that's planted into us from other people, right? We, we create bondage, right? And breaking the connection to suffering such as action, such action constitutes yoga. 
Letting go of the fruit is not the same as not caring or not being committed. Again, letting go of the fruit is not the same as not caring or not being committed. Rather, it means living with strong purpose and commitment, but remaining open to whatever the results of what we do might be, right? So then he goes on to say, like, we can plant a mango tree. We can watch it grow and care for it and water it. But whether that tree will in the end deliver large succulent mangoes is not something that we can guarantee. We can just do our part by planting the seeds, right? Let the action as an expression of love be an end to itself. If we're doing work for the sake of the work itself, rather than for a desired result, we're less likely to be plagued by constant anxiety. We're less likely to suffer crippling disappointment if things don't go as planned and i'm using air quotes because what our plans are isn't always what god's plans are right so it's not even what's planned it's how we might play it out in our head right listen y'all i didn't planned out so many different scenarios in my head about everything right and not every thought is true not every thought is true but there's one that's going to align with our internal being Right. And then something will will jilt from that. Something will be like, who? OK, let me sit with that. What 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 is there a next step for this? Right. The best way to act is to devote ourselves to the cause, but not to the fruits. Right. So less anxiety, less suffering. Right. Intention is everything. Um, and then we'll move into number three, which is make your work your offering, right? Which is chapter 10 on page 187, right? So he talks about sacred action, which is the act of devotion that satisfies the soul. Um, he brings up the word uh, seva, which is sacred action or devotion. So on page 192, he says, Seva is the only valuable thing in life. Okay, so now he's having a conversation with um, this guy that he sees joyfully sweeping the temple. Yeah. And he says to him, I've seen you sweeping this temple courtyard each morning. And he said it in uh, Hindi. He said, you seem happy doing it. What makes this work so special for you? The older man says, seven is the only valuable thing in my life. It doesn't matter what you do if you do it with devotion. Everything you do, you do it with devotion, right? Gratitude, right? It purifies the heart. It frees you from all suffering and awakens bhakti, which is devotion, sacred love in your heart. He looks at the guy intently. His eyes glisten liquid, like liquid emeralds. Life is meant for Seva. So many are busy accumulating money, but in the end, money can't help you. Uh, you can. People look at your heart, right? Not all good. Not all money is good money. People look at your heart. This is because you're a spiritual being. Only sacred love can fulfill you. So moving down some more, it says to make everything we do a part of our yoga practice, Krishna has added the third and final teaching of karma yoga, which is the uh, karma yoga, 
the yoga of skillful action, which is turn it over to me. Whatever you do, make it an offering of devotion to the divine present within you and within all beings. In this way, what you do becomes an act of worship, which is a form of yoga. Right. Um, moving on to page 198. He talks about what is important in is the attitude also that you bring to what you're doing. What is your attitude when you're doing what you're doing, right? It's one thing to just do, but your attitude is energy. What you, what you, like how you do something is going to like affect the space, the room, the environment, all of those things. The mood of service, I imagine helps when the work gets difficult, right? Um, this is a conversation that the author is having with a student. He says, yes, sometimes I have a student, I have students who simply don't care. They talk back. They don't want to be there. Other teachers don't want them either. Or um, uh, him to a teacher, excuse me. Um, but he tries to understand what they're going through. He said he used to be a difficult person too when he was working in London. It was mostly because he was suffering. No one could see that. No one can see that he was in pain. Sometimes our suffering... I feel like suffering is such a normal thing, especially in um, certain cultures, certain continents that it's like expected, right? Like this constant thing where it's like, you got to suffer for a relationship. It's like, I'm not suffering for that. I'm not doing that. You got to like ride or die and like ride and die to show that you love somebody. That's suffrage. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not like, no, there, like there's, there's that suffrage is no, I'm, mm -mm. I have to tolerate you talking to me a certain way and hope that you're going to change. Nah, boo, not this new version of Ashley. Not this new version of love, right? And then he talks about when you've abandoned yourself, you also neglect your physically, you feel, I'm so tongue-tied. When you've abandoned yourself, you also neglect yourself physically and emotionally, right? And he was the author was looking at a picture that was hanging up of the person that he's having a conversation with and the person in the picture was a lot heavier than they are in person at that present moment. And he thought it was like his dad. He's like, no, that's me. Like I wasn't like I abandoned myself and wasn't taking care of myself. Right. Abandonment of self is suffrage. It's choosing to suffer like to, okay, well, I'm just going to suffer and make sure everybody else is good. Right. And that's not okay either. Suffrage leads us to no longer care for ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. When we stay tied to an outcome instead of trusting God and allowing our true self to live, we create these stories, we create these bondages, we create like all these different things in our head and we're not staying present to what's happening, right? So there's like moments where 
it's important for you to maybe step outside and just bird watch. Right. Understand the nature of nature. It's important for you to maybe if you're not like doing some weird skepti stuff, like go watch kids play. They'll teach you everything you need to know. Right. Moving to page 200. Um, Krishna says to Arjuna, as people without knowledge act with attachment. Oh, descendant, so the wise should act without attachment, seeking the well-being of the world. When you don't have, when you lack, you attach. When you lack wisdom, you attach. When you lack knowledge, understanding, you attach yourself to this perpetuating cycle of a story that you feel like you should be living, right? Where the true knowledge you should have is who you're supposed to be. What is your true nature? What is it that you're actually supposed to be doing, right? Uh, Then he says, and I highlighted, the dark night of the soul can be a very powerful teacher. Going into darkness of your own soul is a powerful teacher because it reminds you of what else is in there deeper right in order to heal like you're gonna like you're gonna get creative in how you start pulling yourself out right maybe it's journaling maybe it's songwriting maybe it's coloring maybe it's painting maybe it's dancing maybe it's whatever is going to begin to to unveil what what you need to heal and then you alchemize that right you turn that pain into pleasure and start thinking beyond yourself and looking at okay i can't be the only one that's dealing with this somebody else needs this somebody else is suffering right um so at the bottom it says the universe god bestows upon us many precious gifts intelligence wisdom health knowledge beauty strength and skill what do we do with these gifts there are two ways of relating with life the first is symbolized by a close fist so now we're going to move into mudras right and mudras are hand gestures that symbolize a specific state of consciousness right so when you have all these gifts and talents and you don't do anything with them the mudra for that is a close fist everybody can do a close fist that is internally what you are doing with these gifts right the closed fist is a mudra a hand gesture that symbolizes a specific state of consciousness a specific way of relating with the world he explains it's a mudra that represents fear greed and attachment constantly keeping your fist closed is fear greed and attachment if the mudra could speak it would say i'm taking as much as i can and whatever i take i'll keep for myself i must hold on to it very tightly or else someone will take it from me or i may lose it it's a mudra of competition and ego focus on the big eye and mind in the first verse of the bhagavad gita the blind emperor expresses this mindset most of us approach life in this way. That's why the Gita begins um, with a fear-based attached mindset. As soon as you open your fist, whatever I'm holding will fall from my grasp. This is our fear that we will lose what we have. Sometimes you got to lose everything to get everything that's supposed to be yours. 
been there, been there, been there, done that. I'm now ready, like keeping my palms open to get what's mine because then I can bless people, right? Then I can, I can tithe to my church more regularly, right? I can do all the things that I want to do with my son. I can do, like, I can, I can bless other people, not just myself. I can shop, right? What I love to do endlessly. Um, God has so much to offer us. It's endlessly abundant and prescient precious gifts. If we clench our hands into fists and the universe wants to give us more, we're not in a position to accept it. Our hands are tightly closed. Thankfully, there's a different way of relating with the universe. One thing, one that is the exact opposite of a fist. The sage now turns his closed fist by 180 degrees and opens his fingers. He extended his open palm toward me revealing moonstone sapphires and sky blue opals. This is the mudra or gesture for giving. It's also the mudra for receiving. In this approach to life, there's no fear of loss. There's no attempt to seize and hold on to things. Importantly, if, the, if God wants to give us more precious gifts, we're now in a position to receive them. Our hands are open. This powerful way of relating uh produces results that are 180 degrees different to those of a closed fist mindset have you not experienced this he says when we live with an open heart we discover that the more we give the more we receive always always take a look at the fingers of saints and teachers across india they never have a closed fist their palms are always open this is because the palm represents the heart Right. So if you are constantly like what your heart is doing, your your hands are going to do right. It all works together. What's happening internally is going to show up externally. Remember, there are just two ways of relating with the world, with an open heart and with a closed heart. The last verse of the Bhagavad Gita describes the heart, the open hearted way of being, which uh, the seer San Sanjia says leads to fortune, unusual triumph, strength, and abiding wise conduct. The Gita is about making this 180 degree shift in consciousness from a closed heart to an open heart, right? Mudras are like prayers um, translated into physical form. If we live with a closed fist mindset, we make that our prayer in life. But by living with an open heart, we adopt a very difficult quality of prayer, all right? So when we keep our hearts closed, we keep ourselves in suffrage. When we're not living in our true nature, we keep ourselves in suffrage. Yeah, my throat is really dry. When we attach a reward to everything, right? Or believe that, Oh, I helped that person. They owe me, right? That's suffrage. You leave yourself in suffrage, right? It goes back to last week when we talked about surrendering to, sorry y'all, if y'all hear background noise, like where, I'm, like where my environment is right now, I don't really have 
like a really sacred space to be able to record so please forgive me um if you can hear it but not living in our true nature and doing what feels authentic leads us to suffrage however when we do live in our true nature right and do what feels authentic abundance comes right they have nothing to say after that thought i did but i don't right so what if we what if what if you just said yes to saying no and really allowing yourself to say what is my true nature and what is it that authentically aligns with me right holding on to that relationship knowing it's like killing you on the inside is suffrage why are you holding on to it what is it externally that you're trying to prove or validate sit with that why are you not enough by yourself what lack of trust within you do you need to to grow right yeah this is so much fun so much so much fun i'm now hungry and hot and need to drink some more water so yeah sit with that right like sit with that because at some point you're gonna have to say and there's an episode that i'm planning to do um on frustration right friendly frustration because frustration is friendly right you're gonna get frustrated if you're not doing what it is that you're supposed to or if you're like if you not if you're like lack of sleep right that grind culture y'all know by now i am not with the grind culture i'm gonna take a nap when i feel like i need to i'm gonna pause when i feel like i need to right that's how i get what it is that i'm supposed to do right I want to stay authentic to myself. I want to stay authentic to what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. I want to stay authentic to my goals and dreams and and really making sure that they align with what God has for me and what he's what he's calling me to do. You're calling, right? It might dig up some wounds right it might it might require for you to do some deeper healing work therapy is a very magical tool i just want people to like really live in their their creative form right we were fearfully and wonderfully made oof with no fear I was created. Like God just knew. He was like, ah, I got this. She gonna do and eh, 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 and I'm gonna make her to do that that and I'm gonna make her this way, that way, that way, and do her hair like this. Die. I ain't got no fear in how I'm creating her. So why do we have fear in what it is that is like picking at us to do? 
I think it's something about like America itself, right? And I think it's even to dive deeper into the BIPOC community, there's a greater fear of what that looks like. There's fear in our DNA. Like there's like, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but there's fear in our DNA. There's scarcity in our DNA, but we can, we can override that right take the leap and go to another country right and like a country that is going to put you in a different time zone there's something different about that and i'm not just saying that because i'm here but i'm also able to say it because i'm here like there's something different here i've never had a desire to like i mean i kind of do but i like it's never been like oh i want to hit all these islands close to the u.s no like i'm trying to go out the country right so yeah <sighs> take a nice big inhale and exhale i love y'all for free until next time <laughs>